Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me. I am so glad to share the next few minutes with you today. I want you to find victory and life in Jesus Christ. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say we are learning how to live as God's people, reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. I want to encourage you to look us up on the web at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. These podcasts are posted on our church website, so you can find them there, or you can subscribe and always get the next podcast. Let's turn our attention to this week's message, and we're going to begin with some typos that were found in various church bulletins throughout, well, the history of church bulletins. So I've got several of these here to go through, and uh, hopefully you'll hear the humor in each one. Remember, these are typos, so if it doesn't sound right, it's because it was typed out wrongly, and it ended up being something that people didn't expect but caused them to laugh. So the first one reads like this, Barbara remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusions. She also is having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of Pastor Nelson's sermons. Mm, I guess the sermons are pretty tiring. Second one. Next Thursday, there will be tryouts for the choir. They need all the help they can get. Third one. The over-60s choir will be disbanded for the summer with the thanks of the entire congregation. Number four. Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and community. (laughs) I hope people aren't sick of our church. (laughs) Number five, a cookbook is being compiled by the ladies of the church. Please submit your favorite recipe and also a short antidote for it. I think they meant anecdote. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. Oh, I I hope that's not the case. Announcement to the Moms Who Care ladies group. There will be no Moms Who Care this week. We could have just said it was canceled, I guess. Visitors are asked to sing their names at the church entrance. Or they could sign their names. Ushers will swat the latecomers. At Valley View, we will just help you find a seat. The peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict. There had to be a better way to word that one. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a great chance to get rid of all those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. Great news! Doctors have performed a CAT scan on Pastor McLaren's head and report that they have found nothing. How about... Oh, I don't think they intended to say his head was empty. For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. I imagine the nursery is for people who know they have kids, too. During the absence of our pastor... We enjoyed the rare privilege of hearing a good sermon when J.F. Stubbs supplied our pulpit. <laughs> I hope the ser- the pastor has sermons that are pretty good, too. I hope mine are all right. Eight new choir robes are currently needed due to the addition of several new members and the deterioration of some older ones. I think I know what they meant there, but it sounds like they are talking about the deterioration of older members, but I think it's robes that they meant were deteriorating. It's funny. Such typos lead to an unexpected laugh 
and perhaps unintended consequences at time to time with some misunderstandings. Well, there are no typos in Jesus' message during the triumphal entry, but nearly everyone misreads what Jesus is doing. They all see what they want from Jesus. They want a warrior messiah. They want a liberator. They want a person who will upset the balance of power. They want a disruptor. But none of them see Jesus as the Savior come to take away the sins of the world. So today's Palm Sunday, and we're going to look at the story of the triumphal entry. And I need you to hear this. The story of the triumphal entry asks us, you and me, to put aside our demands, what we want from Jesus, what we want from God, our demands and expectations of Jesus, and asks us to see and receive Jesus for the King and Savior He is. So, let me say that again. The triumphal entry asks us to put aside our demands and expectations of Jesus, and asks us to see and receive Jesus for the King and the Savior that He is. Let's go ahead and read the text. It's in Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11. The, the triumphal entry, it's in all four Gospels, but we're going to look at this particular one today. So, let's begin in verse 1 of Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from, tree, from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet in of, from Nazareth in Galilee. Hmm. Pretty great story. One of celebration. There's palm leaves, there's donkeys, there's Hosanna. A story of celebration. Palm Sunday, when I read these encounters with Jesus entering in Jerusalem, it sounds and feels like a victory. I think many of us would like, like it more and more if people would join in and celebrate Jesus like this today. But I need to remind you, Palm Sunday gives way quickly to Black Friday. Jesus enters Jerusalem as a celebrated Savior and a miracle worker, and then just a few days later, those same crowds are demanding his death, and he's crucified, because Jesus does not meet their expectations, and so they reject him. Palm Sunday feels like victory, but what happens on the cross, and then on Easter morning with an empty tomb... That is the real victory. And so there's this problem we're faced with when we read the story of the triumphal entry. And that is, you and I and all people are continually tempted to let Jesus in only on our terms. 
We all have expectations of what we want out of life, and if we think about God, of what we want from God. But that's a problem. God doesn't ask us to invite Him in on our terms. He invites us to surrender to Him on His terms. We often look for God to break in our, in our world and shake things up. We want God to make things right, to fix everything, to show people who He is beyond the shadow of a doubt. And usually, the problem is we only want as much of God as we think we need for our problems. God, however, wants to restore the relationship between us and Him. He wants to confront the problem of sin, which we often want to deny. He wants us to recognize that He is Lord of all. And we generally only want Him to be Lord of a little bit, and we get to be in charge of the rest. Ah, That's the thing. Triumphal entry reminds us that God is already at work. It's subtle, it's quiet, it's humble. And he's calling us to join in with him in servanthood to bring the gospel of Jesus to everyone. The triumphal entry asks us to see Jesus for who he is, not who we want him to be. There's a lot of characters in this story to consider, and when you think about them, almost all of them have their own idea of who they think Jesus is. There's the disciples. They want everyone to recognize Jesus, and they want to be recognized alongside of him. I, I don't think we should miss that. If you read in the Gospel of Matthew, just the previous chapter, in chapter 20, uh, some of the disciples, the sons of Zebedee, their mom is asking for Jesus to honor at least one of her sons, have him sit at the right hand, a place of prominence and recognition. And all the disciples are eventually, at some point or another, looking for a place of recognition in Jesus's uh, hierarchy. They weren't getting what he was all about. There isn't really a hierarchy there other than to be last and to be least. The disciples have an expectation, and Jesus doesn't fit it. They've got to change the way they're thinking. I'd say the owners of the donkey, they're pretty minor in Matthew's account. They're, they get a little more in Luke, and I think it's John, they get a little bit more, uh, the owners of the donkey. Um, but they have a role to play, and and I, I always wonder, because Jesus does talk about them here in, in Matthew. You're going to find a, a, a donkey and her colt, a foal, a, a young donkey with her. And just untie them and take them. And if anybody asks, well, tell them the Lord needs them. And they'll let you have them. You know, some scholars think that was like a password for something Jesus had prearranged. It might have been. I don't know. But I just picture those owners going about their business and these disciples, random people just walk up and untie the donkey and her, and her young colt. And uh, the owners could have been like, like what are you doing? Hey, hey, that's not yours. And they could have decided they don't want to have any part of what Jesus is doing. Why, why do you need our donkey? Why should I give you what's mine? I think a lot more people say that sort of thing to Jesus than would admit it. I don't want to give you what's mine. Fortunately, the owners do obey the request of Jesus. Thinking about the donkey, I know last week I mentioned Corey Tenboom, and uh, she was asked once uh, about humility, and she 
responded this way. I'll, I'll read the illustration to you here. It says, Corey Tenboom was once asked if it were difficult for her to remain humble, and her reply was simple. When Jesus rode in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey, and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of the donkey that it was all for him? She continued, If I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I give him praise and all the honor. I don't know what the perspective of the donkey is, but I like Corey Ten Boom's perspective there, that we should seek to be humble before Christ. There's the crowd. The crowd's another group we need to consider their perspective for Palm Sunday. Because on Palm Sunday, on the triumphal entry, the crowd celebrates Jesus. They herald him with palm branches and shouts of Hosanna. Hosanna means save us, save us. But this same crowd will shout crucify him in just a few days. You know what I really see? I see a group, a crowd, who has demands of Jesus. We want you to save us. We want you to be dead. They don't have room for his lordship over him over them. And there's the religious leaders, and they're not so much mentioned in Matthew, but they're in the other accounts. So, I want to just mention them briefly. In the other Gospels, it's usually Pharisees that are mentioned. Maybe it's uh, that they asked Jesus to hush his disciples because the celebration is getting out of hand. In the Gospel of John, the Pharisees marvel that the whole world has gone after Jesus. For the religious leaders of Israel, this is a threatening thing to them. They're worried about losing the power they have. They're worried about the religious routines of the Jewish people being disrupted. And maybe the Romans coming in and setting things back in a rather aggressive and violent way. So, they're worried. There's something interesting, though. I think it's fair to say, at least from when we read the accounts of the triumphal entry from all the Gospels, None of the people there that day, when Jesus rode rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, none of them considered surrendering to Jesus. They all wanted Jesus to do their bidding in some way, shape, or form. I don't know that they would have said, do my bidding, but they all had an expectation of Jesus. And so, they misread what he was doing during the triumphal entry. And so, then I think we need to ask ourselves again the question, what do you expect of God? Are you trying to fit God into your life in your own terms? Or have you surrendered to Jesus? Another way to say it is, have you surrendered to Jesus or have you only demanded of him or asked of him? There's a big difference between asking of God and surrendering to him. Most people just ask a lot of God. And that's the struggle a lot of us face. Now, Christ has an answer. Jesus has an answer. He's already king. He has conquered sin through the cross and grave. That's what we'll talk about next week more. And he asks you to follow him. We need to look at Christ's answer, that he's already king, that he's going to attack the bigger problem of sin. Is he Passover was a very delicate and uh, politically charged time for Israel. 
It's a crowded time for Jerusalem as well. The population of Jerusalem just swelled to overflowing during the Passover feast. It was the law that every man who lived within 25 miles of Jerusalem, every Jewish man, was required to make the journey to the city and celebrate. And then many other Jewish men and families traveled from all over the world to celebrate in Jerusalem. Sometimes it might be the lifetime goal of a Jewish family to get to Jerusalem one day to celebrate the Passover. Uh, In a record of this swelling of the population that would happen during Passover, 30 years after Jesus, after the time of Christ, the Romans conducted a census to find out just how many people gathered during the Passover. It was a a fascinating celebration to them, one that was a problem maker for them as well. And the Romans decided to count the lambs that were used in the Passover feast. And what was found, the, the rule was you had to have a minimum of 10 people per lamb for the Passover feast. And they found, and they counted up all the lambs, that the population, the human population of Jerusalem swelled to two and a half million people during Passover. That's a tremendous amount. That is a crowd that's celebrating God. And the celebrating God delivering his people from, if you know the story of Passover, Egyptian slave masters, a pharaoh, and making Israel into its own nation. And that idea made the Romans nervous. Passover was all about deliverance. And it was during Passover, year after year after year after year, that false messiahs had a habit of showing up. They often tried to lead revolts against the occupying Roman powers, and over the years it had become the Roman governor's habit to bolster their military presence in Jerusalem. During Easter, we read about the figure Pontius Pilate, right? He presides over the sentencing of Jesus and ultimately sends him to the cross, and he orders the Roman soldiers to crucify him. It's worth noting that Pilate did not live in Jerusalem. He stayed in a place called Caesarea Maritime. It's a city on the Mediterranean coast. They had a harbor they built on the side of the on the, the shoreline there so that ships could come in and deliver goods. And uh, that was the place of power. That was a place of sea trade and wealth. Uh, but during Passover, during that week, he, along with his legions, would arrive in Jerusalem. He would parade into the city, displaying the might of Rome. And his message was clear. Revolt and Rome will respond with power and brutal force. Now, Pontius Pilate and Jesus probably didn't arrive on the same day. But they both made a triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And I think it's worth comparing Pilate's parade with Jesus's triumphal entry. Pilate would have arrived with power, with a show of force, with an army. He would have ridden a war horse, accompanied with his legions and with chariots. Pilate presented the will, represented, I'm sorry, the will and authority of the Roman emperor, the most powerful man in the world. Pilate would be Uh, taking his place of authority and living that week in Jerusalem in the city fortress of Antonia. That was a fortress that was literally built on the side of the Jewish temple. They built it there to handle all the revolts that happened during this time of year annually. Later, during Holy Week, 
uh, Pilate would wash his hands and absolve himself of the responsibility of executing Jesus and and also uh, saying that this responsibility is now fully on the crowd calling for Jesus' death. Jesus, on the other hand, came humbly. He does not need to show power. Pilate might be a military governor, but Jesus, he's the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords, and he doesn't have to show his authority. Pilate may have an army. Jesus has a couple of ragtag disciples. Pilate represents the authority of Rome. You know, Jesus is authority itself. Pilate ruled from a fortress. Jesus goes to his father's house right away. He clears it out for prayer. Later that week, as I mentioned, Pilate would wash his hands of Jesus, of this Jesus business. He couldn't be held responsible, but Jesus would never wash his hands of you or me. And that's what the triumphal entry is about. Jesus doing what you and I need. He pulls back all the layers, all the shame, all the expectations we might have, all the all that, and he gets to the heart of what we need. Over the triple doorways of the Cathedral of Milan, there are three inscriptions spanning the splendid arches. One is carved with a beautiful wreath of roses, and underneath it is this. It says, all that which pleases is but for a moment. On the other side, there is a sculpture of a cross. And there are the words, all that which troubles us is but for a moment. But underneath the great central entrance to the main aisle is the inscription, that only is important, which is eternal. If we realize these three truths, we will not let trifles trouble us. Not be interested so much in the passing pleasures of the hour. We should live for the permanent and for the eternal. Jesus, he does care about what you're facing right now. He cares about the struggle you have right now. And he cares about the glories and the wonderful moments you have right now. He loves those. But he gets at what we really need. He deals with eternity. Jesus is king. But he humbly rides in on a donkey. He's not headed to Jerusalem's throne. He's not going for a power grab. He's already king. He's heading to the cross. This king is confident. He doesn't have to worry about anything being beneath him. He's gentle. He's peaceful. And this becomes shockingly clear as Holy Week unfolds and everyone explodes on Jesus, arresting him, accusing him, and crucifying him. And every step of the way, Jesus is humble, gentle, peaceful, and does what you and I need. He conquers sin. So now what's left is the question, how will you respond to Jesus? Will you make demands of him? Will you receive what he's done and surrender to his lordship? I ran across an article this week that makes a fair point about the triumphal entry. Simply put, Jesus chose the donkey, not the palm branch. 
It was a crowd. It was the disciples that went and cut branches off the trees. Jesus only asked the disciples to go get the donkey and its colt. The donkey represents peace. The palm branch represents military victory. And that idea started in Jewish history with a group called the Maccabees. They led Israel to independence. And I'll even read you a little excerpt about where the idea of the palm branch started. It was with when they were celebrating a victory in Jerusalem, Jerusalem being set free. And it reads like this in the book of First Maccabees, chapter 13. It's not a biblical book, but it's a history book that is trustworthy. It said, on the 23rd day of the second month, in the 171st year, the Jews entered Jerusalem with praise and palm branches, and with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments, and with hymns and songs, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. And from that, the palm branch becomes a symbol of military victory, of power. But Jesus chose a donkey. It's the disciples and the crowd that chose the palm branches. Jesus doesn't stop them. He is the true king of kings. The palm branch represents him. But it still stands. The palm branch was the people's interpretation, their demand of Jesus. They wanted a Messiah to to come and set them free from the military might of Rome. But Jesus chose the donkey. And the triumphal entry asks you, If you will receive Jesus on your terms or his, are you demanding Jesus be the kind of savior that you want or you'll receive what he has done for you, which is conquered sin. And when you receive that from Jesus, all the other stuff is going to get taken care of. It gets so much easier. Marty Bowler writes these words. One of the scariest questions in the Palm Sunday story is how will I respond when Jesus comes riding humbly into my life? Will I recognize the time of God's coming to me? Will I recognize and welcome God's personal visit? That's the question for you and me. Will you recognize and will you receive? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, show each of us the ways that we've tried to take charge where we should instead let Jesus be king. Lord, help us to follow the example of Jesus, living with humility and gentleness and peace, but also that we should live wanting to restore and redeem others. And above all, help us to live in continual surrender to Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.